Um, this is actually the uh, last time that we will be looking at uh, the catechism or uh, you know, off offshoot uh, lessons that I've been I've been doing. Um, because next month we will get back into uh, the doctrine of Christ, His person and His work, and I'm very excited. Uh, and that's when I always joke with Pastor Antonio. That's when the hard stuff begins. <laughs> but um, but uh, it's very very fruitful for me to um, probe the depths of Christology and present to you uh, the most accurate, I believe, uh, summary of uh, the person and work of Christ in any area or uh, aspect of Christ's life where we're at. Last evening, we talked about uh, the folly of atheism uh, and the problems with atheism. And we looked at Psalm 14.1 where it says, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And essentially what we saw is that the error of atheism is twofold. And there's many things that others that we can say, but first, it's a denial of plain evidence. Uh, if you remember that the atheist is the one who uh, buries his head in the sand, he covers his eyes and does not want to see the plain evidence that God has left for his creation. Uh, and then secondly, uh, atheism is folly because it's a denial of God in practice. And simply put, when, when an atheist doesn't believe in God's existence, at the heart of their unbelief lies their heart. The heart of atheism lies with the problem of the heart. They don't want there to be a God, and they, they, they substitute God with science, philosophy, or whatever theory that they are following. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do a lesson on atheism comes back to uh, what Brother, Brother Ralph said a few weeks ago concerning how he would like more, um, more boldness in sharing the gospel. Um, and saints, I need more boldness. Uh, we all need more boldness in sharing the gospel. Uh, so I wanted to present something really simple uh, and show you the errors of, um, and I'm not going to say atheists are our greatest foes, um, but they are an opponent uh, that we have to consider. This evening, though, after we looked at the folly of atheism, I want us to consider the folly, but also the great power of the cross. And what I mean by that is, when we study how we are to defend the faith, we can get so caught up in uh, epistemology, we can get so caught up in how we defend the faith. The various arguments we can use for defending the faith, which you should know uh, as much as you can how to defend the faith. Uh, I'm not knocking anyone that desires to know more about trying to defend the faith. But you have to understand that the greatest weapon, saint, that you have against the atheists, against the Roman Catholic, against the Mormon, against the Jehovah Witness the Buddhist, the Hindus, anyone, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the greatest weapon that you have. That is our only hope, is it not? So I want us to consider the power of the cross. 
And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. The Apostle Paul says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the, dis- the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and folly to the Gentiles. Let's consider this evening the wisdom and folly of the cross, the wisdom and folly of the cross. Saints, what divides us from the world? What is the, 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 the dividing wall between us and the world? What distinguishes Christians from those who oppose Christianity? Well, one can point to our belief in the triune God of Scripture against the Jew. One can point to um, that Christians uh, read their word. They go to church. They, they follow a certain law against the atheist. But here in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul says, what distinguishes this evening, what distinguishes the, the church from the world is the cross. It is the cross that is the dividing wall between the world and the church. What stands between the world and the church is the cross. Saints, how does the world view the cross? To the Muslim, Christ never died on the cross. He was a phantom. In fact, the Muslim would say that, along with the atheist, that the cross is foolishness. Because if God wanted to forgive people, he didn't need to send his son to die. We can go and do a survey of how, and uh, in, in different groups, of how they believe the cross and what they view the cross as. But in verse 18, Paul tells us how the world views the cross. If you want just a summary of how the unbeliever views the cross of Christ, consider verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here, Paul is going to contrast the message of the cross from the perspective of two parties. From the perspective of the world and from the perspective of the church. There's two ways in which one can view the cross. Saints, what is the message of the cross? What is the message of the cross? Well, Paul defines for us the message of the cross in verse 23. It's simply this, Christ crucified. That is the message of the cross. It's Christ in him crucified. The message of the cross is the truth of the saving power of God in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. 
And saints, it's this simple message of a crucified Messiah that divides the world from the church. This simple act in and moment that happened over 2,000 years ago is what divides us from the unbeliever. Let's first consider the world's perspective of the cross. Again, St. Paul says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The cross to the world is folly. Consider the words that I'm saying, saints. The cross to the world is folly. That word folly literally means madness. It's craziness. It's illogical. It's foolishness. But what makes the message of the cross folly to the world? Why is it madness? Why is it foolish to the world? And the reason is because the cross determines one's eternal destiny. The cross determines one's eternal destiny. The world categorizes people in race and status and gender. But the gospel demands that we view people from the perspective of eternity. That's how the Bible categorizes people, ultimately. All people will spend either he- uh, eternity in either heaven or hell. You're either children of God or you're of the or you're the seed of the serpent. <clears throat> what will you do with this Christ and him crucified? The Bible says. What will your response to be to Christ and his atoning work and saints? The world says nothing. The world doesn't want anything to do with Christ and his cross. You see, to the world, one's eternal destiny is determined by how good of a person they've been on this earth. How nice they've been to people. How much money they've given to the needy. How much of a model citizen they've been. But the message of the cross removes any notion that you can earn your way to heaven. For it screams that this man who is truly God died because you cannot save yourself. It screams that you must turn away from all of your works and trust in that one who is hung on that tree. That's what the cross says. And saints, the sad reality is the world hears that. And they say, that's foolishness. That's madness. The same hymns about the cross that you sing to The same sermons that you love to hear about the cross of Christ. The unbeliever says, that's madness. That doesn't make any sense. The world sees our bleeding Savior as simply a martyr. As just another good man who died for the cause. He takes his ranks above alongside Dr. King and Malcolm X. 
The world rejects the gospel message and substitute Christ and his cross for a more political and economical and social message. They replace Christ and the cross for something more political, something more social that everyone can believe in. The world wants a message of equality. We see that on ads. Nike makes shirts that say equality on it. We see this in TV shows. How it's just being thrown in our faces. We see it in movies. In ads. The world praises people who come out the closet and profess their sexuality. And these people are seen as heroes. They're given awards. That's the message that the world can get behind. Society today wants a message that speaks of racial reconciliation and social justice. And we see that many people are trying to come up with various ways to bring unity to America. Brand names are being rebranded. If you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about. Images are being taken down. Statues are being put away. Conversations are being organized. And we should applaud those who are trying to bring peace upon this earth. But saints, without the message of the cross, there will never be, nor ever will be, true racial reconciliation. Without the gospel... There will never be true harmony between black, white, brown, red, pink, and whatever you are. It is the cross that tears down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, between black and white, between brown and white and black. That's what brings true racial reconciliation. No matter how many marches are organized... No matter how well police reform itself, no matter if they bring the leaders of their particular parties together and try to come up with a way to bring peace and unity, nothing will tear down racial walls and social walls and political walls than Christ and Him crucified. Period. That's it. But the world doesn't want that message. The world wants a message that doesn't talk about sin, hell, of a man dying for you, any law that you must obey. So any preacher that doesn't use that language, the world sees those people as the leading voices of Christianity. Go to Target. Go look at the bookshelf. See what Christian authors are on the bookshelf. The world doesn't want a message that says repent and believe. Rather, they want a message that says work and earn. That's the folly of the world. They have no gospel. They reject the gospel of Christ that says believe, receive. Or rather, they want a message that says work and earn. Earn your way to heaven. You can do it.
And it's those who view the cross as folly, Paul says, are perishing. This is the destiny of the unbeliever. They are perishing. But notice the Apostle Paul doesn't say they are on the verge of perishing or one day in eternity they will perish. But they are perishing now. That they are passing away. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Those who believe that the message of the cross is folly, simply put, are eternally doomed. There is no hope for them. This is the world's perspective of the cross. It's madness. It's folly. But Paul says there's another way of looking at the cross. Consider what Paul says in verse 18. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. We naturally associate salvation with the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God as we should. But salvation is also about the power of God. The power of Almighty God. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't merely contain power or demonstrate power or execute power, but it is the very power of God for salvation. And saints, this is what the world needs to know. The gospel of Christ is not just another way to get to heaven in the midst of other ways. It's not just another road in the midst of other roads. It's not a middle way or a third way. The gospel is not just another theory of philosophy. But Paul wants to make it clear that the message of the cross is the saving power of God to those who believe in Christ alone. And saints, if you've been praying for those for a long period of time who are not saved, and they keep rejecting the gospel, take comfort in this, that there is power still left in the gospel. There is power still left in the cross of Christ. We as the elect here in Little Old Bakersfield have not exhausted the efficacy of Christ's atoning blood. Know that. You're praying for your sister. You're praying for your father. You're praying for your cousin, for your brother. That as long as there's a gospel, there is power. God uses the gospel to save his elect. Case in point, you. You know how hard-headed you were. You knew that you came to God kicking and screaming. And this simple message, God not only uses to save the elect, but get this, he uses to make foolish the world. The simple message of Christ crucified 
God uses to save his people and to make foolish the world. Consider what Paul says in verses 19 through 21. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who was wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Absolutely one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. We live in a world where scientists are considered the leaders of intelligence. We live in a world where the atheists or the skeptic are seen as the wisest people of the day because they use reason above all else. In some of the most respected universities in the world, God has been replaced with science and philosophy. Even the mere mention that this universe was created not merely by God, but some intelligent being you can lose your job. And here in verse 19, Paul says, God destroys human wisdom. God destroys human wisdom. And then in verse 9, or 20 and 21, St. Paul calls out all those who claim to be wise. He just... I'm assuming. He just lets his hair down. He calls out all of the so-called smart people of the day and says, look at you now. Where is the scribe? Where is the one who is wise? What has all your human wisdom got you? And then he makes this crushing claim in verse 20 and 21. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? And then he says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, God, through the message of the cross, have made those who claim to be wise fools. Through the message of the cross. The ones who claim to be the smart people of the day. God says, if you reject this, you're foolish. Again, notice Paul says in verse 21, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. He says here, that preaching is folly. But God uses the folly of preaching to make wise men foolish. You see the great reversal here. The world says, you're foolish for preaching that. And Paul says, well, then God uses our foolishness to make you foolish. As one Commentator has said, I'm trying to get deep into my brain, remind myself. The foolishness of preaching is not the preaching of foolishness. 
The foolishness of preaching is not the preaching of foolishness. We're not trying to give you no hustle. We're not trying to say something that's not true, some fairy tale. That's not the foolishness of preaching. It's not the content of what we preach. What the world sees as foolish, God calls wisdom. The same message of Christ crucified that the world says is foolish is the same message that contains the power of God unto salvation. The world says it's foolish. Then God says, okay, I'm going to use the foolishness of preaching. I'm going to use that to shame the wise. And in shaming the wise, I will save the elect. Powerful stuff, is it not? Is the eternal purpose of God to save those whom he wills by the message of the, what, 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 the, what the world calls madness. It is God who opens the eyes of those out of the world to believe what is folly and illogical. Have you ever got that from some of your friends? Ah, what you believe is dumb. What you believe doesn't make sense. But that's okay because the world or God uses that message that doesn't make sense to save those. Simply put, what the world sees as folly, we see as our only hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ, saints, know this, contains power within it. Not because they're merely words. It's not some word magic. Like you're putting a spell on someone and then they get trance and then they believe. But because the gospel of Christ is attached to someone. It speaks of Christ and him crucified. That's the only reason it has power. It has power because of its content. Of who it speaks of. Speaks of Jesus Christ. As I heard as a young boy, there's power in the blood. I didn't know what that meant, but I sure know what it means now. There's forgiveness, reconciliation. As we come to a close, saints, let's answer this two questions. Number one, what have we learned? And number two, how do we live? This evening we've learned that it is the gospel of Christ that divides the world from the church. It is the gospel of Christ that divides the world from the church. The world seeks wisdom. But the gospel says you can't think your way into heaven. The world seeks peace, but the gospel says only true peace comes by faith in Christ alone. One must repent, believe, and then live. And saints, the world needs to know this, that Christ is not just another way that man can merit eternal life. It's one of my biggest pet peeves when someone tells me, well, that's good for you to believe. 
But there is another way. But Jesus Christ and Him crucified, as I said, is not just another theory that man has dreamt up. But it is the only way. The gospel is not just another road in the midst of other roads. But there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And when one preaches that message, the Apostle Paul says there's power. There's power in that. The gospel is not just an empty shell, but it hardens men's hearts and it softens men's hearts. And secondly, how do we live in light of this? What are we to do with this message of Christ crucified? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us the answer in verse 23, does he not? Preach Christ crucified. How do we live in light of this great saving power of the gospel? Preach Christ crucified. Not Christ and what He can give to you. Not Christ and what He can bring you out of. But Christ and His cross. But notice, saints, when we say Christ crucified, we don't merely speak of the way that Christ died. Some people might think that. Well, let's just preach about Jesus Christ hanging on the tree. No. When we say Christ crucified, what we mean by that is what Christ actually accomplished when he was crucified. We speak of what Christ did for us. And Christ crucified is just a short uh, way of speaking about the entire person and work of Christ, is it not? Paul does know of the Incarnation. Paul knows that Christ was raised on the third day. But Christ crucifies implies life. But also, Paul knows that Jesus Christ did not stay in the grave. So when we say Christ crucified, when we say preach Christ and His cross, we mean to preach the entirety of of the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we speak of Christ and His cross, tell the unbeliever that this one is dying because there was no one suitable that can offer a perfect sacrifice, an offering to the Father. This one is dying Because He was the only one suitable to take away our sins, not just for a year or for a month, but for all eternity. Because He is God in the flesh. But don't get it confused that this one did not hang there. But He was buried. And He rose on the third day confirming our justification. What do we do now in light of the saving power of cross of the cross? As we've heard a couple of weeks ago from Pastor Antonio that we 
living in America, in this world, are living in enemy territory. Everywhere we go, we are reminded of the fall, are we not? In the midst of that, saints, preach Christ and Him crucified. Stay with the cross. Preach Christ. And the Apostle Paul says, when you do, there's power. There's saving efficacy. Because you are preaching about Jesus Christ. Let's pray.